Good morning. It's May 24th, the seventh Sunday after Easter and the Sunday right after the ascension of our Lord on Thursday of last week, which was celebrated. The ascension, which marks his return to heaven at the right hand of the Father and will not return until his second coming, which always leads us to the Sunday before the Pentecost, the giving of the Holy Spirit. On this Sunday, the texts are 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19, and 5, 6 through 11, and John chapter 17, 1 through 17, which is Jesus' high priestly prayer, praying for his disciples and for us, those who were left behind, but not really behind, left to live on this earth until his second coming, in which he prays for us to live in the joy of his glory while we endure suffering at the hands of the world. So our theme for today is glorious suffering. There's a popular phrase today that sums up how the world relates glory and suffering. You all know it. The phrase is, no pain, no gain. The idea is that on our way to glory, there is going to be pain. You're going to have to push through and endure that pain in order to make the gain. This leads to some popular conclusions. One, if I am feeling no pain or suffering, then I'm not pushing hard enough to get the glory that I want or desire. And two, if I'm feeling no pain, then glory will not come. But also there leads to other false conclusions, such as, if I am feeling pain, then I must be on the right track and glory will surely follow. We call this entitlement. And if I'm feeling pain, I'm accomplishing my goals and I just need to push through it to arrive at my inevitable glory. Well, what if in all the suffering and pain there is no glory that follows? It was a waste of time and energy. You didn't get the glory that you wanted, and much worse, you didn't get the glory you thought you were entitled to because you had tons of pain with nothing to show for it. The problem here with this worldly way of looking at suffering and glory, pain and gain, is that everything relies on you. Nothing is given to you. It is all up to you. If you fail, you didn't suffer long and hard enough for your goals. And if you succeed and achieve glory and fame, then it was all because of what you did. You really shouldn't expect people to look at suffering and glory in any other way, really. Because that is the creature, natural mankind. In natural mankind, all creation, all people, have fallen out of relationship and communion with God because of sin. They have to look only to themselves, rely only on their actions for achievement or failure. Because as Romans, as Paul says in Romans, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They can only relate suffering and joy to things that they have done, that they have accomplished, or that they have failed to accomplish in their life. As Christians, we are tempted to do some of that, and we do, naturally, because we are in this world, and we are a part of sinful humankind, self-serving, self-seeking, and seeking God second only when it interests us at times. But as Christians, we are also not of this world, as Jesus says in his prayer for his disciples and us in John 17. 
Christians look at suffering and glory with proper spiritual distinction. We already have the glory. We have the victory. We have won the prize. We have won that in Christ. Our question is rather different, and our two texts from Peter and John speak to this. In fact, since the day of the ascension of our Lord, which is celebrated last Thursday, all believers grapple with reconciling suffering even while they glory in their salvation through Jesus Christ. It's paradoxical. On the one hand, living in Christ, as we talked about last week, we live in his glory and the glory of the Father. The joy is celebrated over the victory over sin and death, and we rejoice in the eternal life that is ours. We look forward with anticipation to being in Christ eternally when our earthly life is over. But on the other hand, there is death, that portal of suffering through which all must pass, even though now they experience the glory of the promise of their long-awaited, as sure as cement is hard, eternity-long life with God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we grapple with today, to understand and rejoice in these realities of suffering and glory. Our first text comes from the second letter of St. Peter to congregations in Asia Minor. Now, today we know this region where Peter is writing as Turkey, Azerbaijan, Armenia, and Georgia. And the second text comes from our gospel where Jesus prays to the Father for his disciples and us, that we would experience and live in his glory while we endure suffering because we were set apart from this world through and in him. There are numerous examples in scripture where suffering and glory play out as unlikely companions that could show us just how these two realities play out in our Christian life. We'll look at only two, along with our texts from Peter and John. One that we're going to look at is on the glory or boasting and suffering in the life of St. Paul. The second one has to do with Jesus' teaching about suffering for his sake as a disciple. Let's start with St. Paul. Suffering and glory are evident in the life of St. Paul. On one occasion, Paul reveals to us that he prayed for deliverance from an adversary, a thorn in the flesh, causing him pain and suffering. He writes in 2 Corinthians 12, 1-10. Now, when we read this passage, note that the Greek word for boasting is actually the word for to glory in something. So here's what Paul says. It is necessary to go on boasting, or glorying. Though it is not profitable, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise and heard things too sacred to be put into words, things that a person is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such an individual, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except about my weaknesses." For even if I wish to boast, I will not be a fool, for I would be telling the truth, but I refrain from this, so that no one may regard me beyond what he sees in me or what he hears from me, even because of the extraordinary character of the revelations. Therefore, so that I would not become a, a, arrogant, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to trouble me, so that I would not become arrogant." I asked the Lord three times about this, that it would be departed from me. But he said to me, My grace is enough for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness, in weakness. 
So then I will boast most gladly about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may reside in me. Therefore I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with troubles, with persecutions and difficulties for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. We learn something important about suffering and glory from Paul. That he was a proud man who was granted many visions and saw many secrets not given to others to see. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit and the fact that he was rescued and called specifically by God to be his messenger to the Gentiles after extensively having persecuted Christians gave Paul every right to boast. As I said, this boasting is to glory on account of a thing, a possession or something that caused the boasting. So Paul had every reason to think highly of himself, to go around saying that he was a great man of God, given many privileges of spiritual insight. Perhaps he could even glory or boast that God chose him because, well, simply because he was Paul. That's what Paul is getting at. Simply said, his glory and boasting could easily be in himself. Now, Paul takes this up on a deeper level in the letter of Romans. Maybe we'll hit on that at some other point. But here, what Paul wants us to know is that a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, as he calls it, was given him that reminded him of his weakness, that he wasn't all that. Paul learned from God that through his suffering or weakness, God's power was made known. And so, Paul's boasting was truly in the Lord, not in himself. But if he did boast of himself, it would be to glory in his weakness, to glory in his suffering, because God showed his power in Paul's suffering and weakness. It was in Christ who delivered even Paul in the midst of his weakness and in the midst of his suffering to be effective in his Christian life. And of course, when our Lord says to him, my grace is enough for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, God did not say to Paul that his power was made perfect in his weakness, so as to give Paul any room for boasting that even his weakness would be a cause to boast and glory. In other words, Paul is saying that there is nothing in himself that could be glorified or boasted about, neither that he was a great man, nor that his weakness was the reason that the Lord chose him as his messenger. No, for as God the Father's grace was made known through the weakness of his Son on the cross, and his power was shown through the resurrection of his Son from the dead, from where there is no power, Paul's boast as proven by him and through Christ death and resurrection, that all glory is God's, even in the face of suffering. Christ's death on the cross is the other example of suffering and glory that we see. His suffering is at the cost of being obedient to the Father, according to his plan of salvation for the world, something that only Christ's obedience can be accomplished. And since we are in Christ, it should not surprise us that we, like Paul, are called to be living examples of this suffering and glory paradox together with Christ. Now let's take a look at our second example that involves glory and suffering in Jesus' words to his disciples and anyone who is his disciple. It comes in Matthew chapter 10, verses 37 to 39. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. 
And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life because of me will find it. In these verses, there is a paradox between following Christ in glory and in suffering. They make us feel uncomfortable, especially when we know that we have not left wife or children or friends to follow Christ. We see the suffering in the cross, and we don't see the glory in the cross, at least when it comes to suffering. We look at this just on the literal level. I have not left wife. I have not left children. I have not left friends to follow Christ. It is painful to renounce those things in the world that have so much love and meaning for you, family and friends. To give that up, even to follow that which you know to be the only way, truth, and life. Nevertheless, Jesus teaches us the cost of discipleship. What is the cost for giving all of this up? It's giving up the dependence on those very things that make up your life. Giving up the love you have known, your belonging to this world, your reality in this world. We would rather glory in the cross of Christ and keep our comfortable lives as they are and not suffer. And so the second part of Jesus' verse talks about life and taking up the cross. And so we confront a nagging paradox. How should we understand that cross of suffering in our glorious salvation that we take up? And usually we turn to allegorizing what that cross is. We're quick to conclude that the cross, which Jesus says here that we should take up, is a physical ailment of some sort. Maybe poor eyesight, maybe allergies. Sometimes we have to endure in our Christian life and, and make that our cross to carry. I guess that's my cross, meaning a burden. That's my cross in life, something difficult for me. All of these phrases, you know them. And that is not what Jesus is referring to at all. The cross is not a burden for us to carry. Our burden is our brokenness, our sinfulness that is carried by Christ in his body as sin for us. This burden was nailed to the cross. Christ invites us to come to me, all who are troubled and heavy laden, burden, and I will give you rest, not a cross. But we learn from Peter in what he writes in his letter today, that the cross is being Christ-like, that we take up to follow him is a part of being in Christ, which we talked about last week. Being in Christ is to be in his death and so experience his glory. And so in Christ we are dead to the world and alive to him to the extent that our suffering is merely part of our glory. It's a part of being in Christ. Our cross is our call to suffering. It's our call to be rejected and despised by the world. We received our cross, our call to take up our Christian life in baptism, when, as Romans 6 says, we were buried in Christ, so we too will rise in him. The cross is the natural life of the Christian, not because we have taken on the burden of suffering for the sins of mankind, but because we are one with the Savior, one in his death, one in his resurrection, our Lord in his life and in his death and in his resurrection. And we learn from Jesus' prayer today that his 
cross is that the cross is being Christ-like as well. Being rejected by the world is our source of suffering we face when we live as Christ's children, walking as he walked. Jesus prays for his disciples and us as we are called out of this world, which has rejected us, as he says. In our glory is that this suffering produces strength and hope in him, as Paul says in Romans chapter 5, where he says, We also rejoice in sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. So Jesus prays in John 17 that we are glorified in Christ as we suffer in Christ, so that our joy may be complete, that's right, that it may be whole, perfect, as we also talked about a few Sundays ago. We are glorified by the Father in, with, and through Christ as our righteousness. And we suffer as Christ did because we are not of this world, but one with the Father and heirs with the Son of Resurrection. So as his children, glory and suffering go hand in hand. We glory in Christ as we suffer for our faith in Christ. This suffering becomes physical or emotional suffering when we encounter rejection in the world because of our obedience and our values as we follow Christ. People hate us. It hurts. People stop talking to you because they find out you are a Christian. That is suffering. You can't meet in church for a worship service, although Walmart can stay open because church is not essential and everyone knows that COVID-19 spreads faster in churches. This produces suffering in the body of Christ, the church, as we seek to glorify God together. But we endure our weakness in that suffering, as did Paul, only because we find our glory in the cross of Christ. We don't endure that weakness because we are good and we want to push through the pain to get to the gain. It's because of the cross of Christ. There is our glory. Only because we find our glory in the cross of Christ. Because making a confession of Christ to non-believers, revealing to them the hope of our salvation in Christ, glorifies God. And in that, our weakness is made powerful by his grace. My power is made perfect in weakness. Our suffering is, whole, is worthwhile as gold is proven, refined, tested, and tried by fire. So, suffering is a part of glorifying God, not done by us for our salvation, not pushing through the pain, but endured because of Christ who's alive in us, our living hope. And in this we are easily tempted to think that it's because we push through. The old Adam, our natural self, which was crucified with Christ and now dead to sin, wants to be resurrected along with our new creation in Christ. We are tempted in no less the same way that Paul was in the text that we read at the beginning where he was given a thorn in the flesh. If we are tempted to boast about being saved and glory in our own self-righteousness to be better than anyone else because of who we are, that's our temptation as Christians. We're also tempted in our suffering to glory in the suffering itself as a proof that we are truly Christians and that the world hates us and we glory in that hate. Either way of looking at it, this makes our suffering all about us, doesn't it? Understand what I'm saying here. 
There are those who will say that if you are not suffering for Christ, you are not a true Christian, turning that suffering into self-righteous sign of being a Christian. This type of self-righteousness is like Peter, who declares he will suffer even death for Christ, and later that self-righteous behavior earns him the privilege of denying knowing his Savior. Trying to impress God through suffering does not make you worthy of God's glory. And people tend to project that suffering for Christ as a qualification of their devoutness. Oh, look at him. He is suffering so much for Jesus because he is a missionary and doesn't have a washing machine or a dryer, nor any of the conveniences that we have here. No, no, this, this really happened, you see. A missionary in Guatemala in the early 80s or 70s, uh, who was my supervisor when I was on internship there at Vicarage, her name was Jan, and she spoke before congregations in the United States to women's groups talking about the life of a missionary in Guatemala. And she was asked if she had a washing machine, and she said yes. And she was told that she was not a true missionary. She didn't go around Guatemala City in a canoe or just with a loincloth. So the image of the suffering was projected on her. She wasn't suffering. She had a washing machine and a dryer. She mustn't be suffering for the glory of Christ. The suffering, as Paul reminds us, is his work for you, not our work for him. That is the suffering in which we glory. We glory in the suffering as his work for us. We glory because it comes from the following the truth and not the world. That is how Christ glorified God in his sufferings and was glorified by God in the same way. And in his prayer, that is how he sees us glorified through him. What's our takeaway on this? Let's examine ourselves as followers of Christ. What is the cost of your discipleship? Have you suffered because you live apart from the world in Christ, being obedient to your faith? Or have you suffered because you've made that suffering your own glory to impress God? There are two things to consider in answering this. You may consider that your suffering qualifies you as being worthy in the eyes of God. And you may answer, no, I really haven't suffered, so I better go out and suffer in some way to prove that I'm a Christian. And that is what we just finished condemning as works righteousness. Or you might consider answering this way. No, I haven't suffered for the sake of Christ because I live according to the values of this world so that people who see me, my friends and family and others, do not know that I am different or that I confessed Christ as my Savior. Or you might say, no, I haven't suffered for the sake of Christ because I do not want to be labeled a Christian and be rejected by letting friends and family and others know that I can't agree with them or go along with them. Answering like this is putting down your cross and we're walking on by. To do this is to avoid suffering, the suffering of this world, and not see that it is connected with the glory that God has given you through Christ. This is to fear the world that has been defeated through Christ, 
Worse yet, it is to doubt that in your own weakness, in your suffering, God's power and grace will be shown and made strong in you. Your fear of suffering takes you away from your cross of discipleship, but it also takes Christ down from the cross. It deprives God of working through your weakness so that he is glorified in you and his name is hallowed in your life. You see, your suffering goes along with the prayer that we pray every Sunday, Hallowed be thy name. God's name is hallowed and holy in and of itself, but we pray that we will keep God's name holy by living as his children in this world. If we have been baptized into Christ, we have put on Christ. We do not have the choice of taking up the cross or putting the cross down. We are in him. And we need to grow in that power and mercy and grace that is him. And though we mess up, and though we trip over the cross, and we get confused, and we want to protect ourselves and not be rejected, we don't want to suffer on account of our beliefs, we must know and come to terms with the fact that we do not live as God's children then, if the world does not know that he is our father. That's our greatest temptation then. To deny to the world that the best thing that has ever happened in our lives is Christ. To hide the cross in our lives and in our testimony from those around us when given the opportunity to witness for Christ in spite of the suffering that we may fear. And fear is naming our weakness as sin. We fear for ourselves, for our needs, for our comfort, and therefore doubt that God will provide all that we need as he already has done in Christ. His perfect love that he gives to us in Christ casts out all fear, as John says in his final letter. Your fear of suffering, denial, and rejection is the reason Christ prays for you in the gospel today. He prays to the Father because we have a loving Father. A father who forgives when we trip over our crosses. A father who helps us pick up that cross when we lay it down. When we, claim, when we clam up at the opportunity to share Christ's glory with someone. He says, go on. Take up the cross. Follow me. My power is made perfect in your weakness. He prays that the father would keep us as his own apart from this world as we are in him, but a part of this world to live in it as beacons of light and hope in the midst of pain and suffering. Looking forward to the life of the world while we carry the cross and walk the way of Christ to be eternally with the Father. We have a Father who empowers us with his gifts. And one important gift Paul keeps a secret when writing to the Corinthians. Remember, Paul's glory wasn't because he was closer to God or chosen especially by God. It had nothing to do with him. Paul's glory came, had to do with God's power shown when he was at his weakest. Here's Paul's secret to suffering. Accepting suffering for Christ in this world as a gift from God himself. Paul never said that God gave him the thorn in the flesh. But he did say that God took that thorn and that suffering and made it work for his glory in Paul's life and for the life of the world. If suffering is a gift, it is God's gift to you. And if it comes from God, it comes from a father who loves you and empowers you in moments of weakness 
at times of weakness when you think yourself unable to share God's good news with someone, when you fear rejection because of your values, or in moments when you know the world hates you, go to your Father. Your suffering is made complete in His glory. His power will be made known and shown in the midst of your weakness, and your boast and glory will be only of Him who glorifies you through His Son. Amen.